Welcome to the Four Geeks Podcast, where we share everything about business, technology, growth marketing, and provide advice on how startups can build their products and predict revenue. Thank you for tuning in. Don't miss our new episodes every week. This podcast is produced by Four Geeks Productions. Hi, guys. Welcome back to a new episode of the Four Geeks Podcast. Today, we're starting a new season. And now, we have a great guest for today. We're going to play a little bit. I'm going to tell you a little bit about his bio. He has 25 years in the IT sector of experience in the USA and Latin America, where he has developed companies with digital technology-based services and products. He has a lot of projects made based on marketing, digital marketing and analytics. Also, in addition to the projects with the World Bank, United Nations, GEF, The Nature Conservancy, and USAID. His projects have won awards from PBS Television's Web Lab Award in the USA, USA, the World Bank's Info Developer Award, and several industry recognitions in Costa Rica. He was recognized by El Financiero our local business and IT development newsletter, right? As the four, 44 under 40 most influential and was featured in the war AdWords ad for Latin America produced by Google. So nowadays he's the VP of Extendo and he's also the president of Camtic. And we have Paul Ferber with Well, us thank today. you very much. What a nice introduction. That's very kind of you. He has a really, really, really... I have a good accent in English, too. Seriously? <laughs> I'm from tell. Wisconsin, originally, so you'll oh, have to put up to with my, my, my little A. I pronounce that A a little differently than most people do. Never mind. You, you might not know this. Wisconsin. Wisconsin. <laughs> so, hi, Paul. Hi. Thank you for joining us. Thank you. Today, we're going to talk a little bit about IT and marketing digital. But first of all, I would like to have an introduction from you. Who is Paul and how he became the person he is today? Oh, <clears throat> well, let's see. Uh, so I mentioned I'm from Wisconsin. I was uh, a student at the University of Wisconsin. And as I was finishing my career there, uh, just about to graduate, this is early 90s. Mm -hmm. Oscar Arias was the president of Costa Rica. He had won a Nobel Prize. Yes. He came to the University of Wisconsin to talk about the uh, peace process in Central America. And through that uh, connection between Oscar Arias and the University of Wisconsin, they created a, um, a pasantia, a, an internship program. Mm -hmm. So I was the first intern from Wisconsin to come to Costa Rica and work for Oscar Arias as a part of that peace process. So this was early 90s. That's, that's how I got here. And I've been here ever since. Uh, so I started as, a, I'm a sociologist. Mm -hmm. I'm working in what you'd call it sort of community development, right? Mm -hmm. Post-conflict Central America, how do we create a strong civil society? How do you rebuild that kind of network? And that got us initially into using technology. Mm -hmm. So this is, this is pre-internet. This is what you would have called um, 
bulletin board systems, a different type of connection to, to uh, all that kind of like emailing and networking and this kind of thing. So pre-internet networks through bulletin board systems, and we started to deploy those in Central America as a way to allow populations and civil society organizations to work together. Mm -hmm. That was our mission, mm -hmm. right? So because of that work, I got interested in the technology and went to work at a foundation that did that kind of work in Central America. So this was 1995. It was the same moment that Costa Rica connected to the internet. So there was this technology change from bulletin board systems to this new thing called internet. And our job was to first help the countries connect, like literally kind of do projects about connectivity and help the ISPs, you know, like the ISAs mm -hmm. of the region understand what they're going to do with this and how they give it to their users. And we created little installable disks, mm -hmm. floppies, so that their clients could install and have FTP and Telnet and in the browser of the time, which was Mosaic. And so that was our start, like actually helping people connect. So connectivity was the first moment of Central America. And then immediately after that, we started to say, so now that people are connected, what are we going to have them do? Mm -hmm. So we started talking about, hey, there's this thing, the, the web. Maybe we could use this web thing, right? So our first kind of jobs were create websites for NGOs, right? That was basically the user base of the internet in the mid-90s. So we started to do that, and then shortly thereafter, businesses started to want to use it. It was brochureware, right? This is the time of websites that are just brochures. Yes. Uh, so we were doing brochureware, but we were starting to say, wouldn't it be cool Mm -hmm. If you could actually have systems online, like connect that brochure to a back-end database, do some other kinds of systems. So we started to do that kind of web development, and here I am today. It's a big gap, right? 20-year gap, but that's, yeah. that's basically the story of how I got here. So in that process, mm -hmm. in the 90s, um, there were a few businesses like this here in Costa Rica. We had a problem, which was Costa Rica had a single telephone services provider, Issei. Mm -hmm. And they had a sister company called Roxa that mm -hmm. was the internet provider. And you could not be a web provider without going through Roxa. Mm -hmm. So if you wanted to have a website online, it had to be on a server in their server farm. This is a problem because we didn't always want to do that. Mm -hmm. um, we did do that. We had a rack with servers in it. But at some point, ourselves, the company was called Internexo at that time, and other companies like us said, we could join together. We should create a little like business association. We call ourselves internet providers. Mm -hmm. And we'll create a little business association to pressure Roxa to allow us to give services beyond what they're allowing us to do. So as we were in this process, we started to talk to another business association called Pro Software, mm -hmm. ProSoft. And they said, hey, why don't you join us? And we became one big chamber, one big IT chamber. Today it's known as CAMTIC, the mm -hmm. Camara Nacional de Tecnologías de Información y Comunicación de Costa Rica, CAMTIC. So it's the IT business chamber, and it represents these different subsectors. Mm -hmm. And through that involvement in the late 90s, I got more involved, ended up on the board, and today I'm the president. So that's how I got to that role in the industry, CAMTIC. That's super interesting. Thank you for that introduction. My pleasure. Actually, and as we all know, we are based on Costa Rica. We know that CAMTIC managed a lot of different IT sectors That's and right. 
topics and anything involving development and marketing and digital marketing, right? Mm-hmm. So I was aware that you are developing a new chapter. Yes. Can you tell mm-hmm. us a little bit more about that chapter? Yeah, thanks for asking. So Comtic is this uh, chamber. There is about 200 businesses associated to Comtic. That represents probably a third or a fourth of the businesses in Costa Rica that are in the IT sector. And I mention that only because in some countries, affiliation to a chamber is required. Mm-hmm. In Costa Rica, it is not. So it's completely voluntary nonprofit organization. Okay. So within that, you've got 200 companies, all sorts of IT going on. And it's obviously hard to bring them all to the table and find what is like the common issue that everybody wants to talk about. So what we do is we, we break them into groups mm-hmm. and we say, okay, let's allow them to develop different areas of interest reflecting their particular needs within their, their sub-industries. And one of those, um, it actually started years ago, was a group of companies that were interested in issues around digital marketing and e-commerce mm-hmm. because there were um, regulatory processes in place in Costa Rica that were kind of creating some friction for e-commerce during, mm-hmm. during a certain period of time. Um, so we would come to the table. We talked about it and talked about it and talked. We never did it mm-hmm. until finally now. So finally now, this group of businesses has joined together and said, let's create a chapter within Comtic, a subgroup, which is going to focus on marketing and e-commerce. Mm-hmm. And obviously, we'll be kind of watching the regulatory space so that we can influence and understand what's going on in that space, making Costa Rica better integrated with the rest of the world in that sense, mm-hmm. right? That's kind of one of the main purposes. But then the other purpose of it is, how do we make sure that the world knows that we offer these services? So mm-hmm. how do we group together uh, to create a bigger banner for our services and our exports and that we can have a bigger footprint in the world? So. Uh, that's basically what these chapters do. They help us understand the ecosystem, make sure that we're paying attention, guiding it, making it part of a, a more global marketplace, and at the same time promoting it, showing what we do, creating competencies within the countries that we can continue to do that. That's the chapter. That's super interesting. Thank you for that as well. So following along the same line, we have a little issue right now going on, right? About all the data information and how we manage them, how as startups and companies on the digital marketing new era, mm-hmm. we have to manage our customers' personal information in a way that we are now on the, how you say this, on the role as yeah. first party company, right? Okay, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna give two reflections. First, mm-hmm. I'll start with my Comtic role. Yes. Right, the industry role, and then I'm going to take that hat off, and then I'll talk from business role, right? Okay, sort of good. how we do this. So, from the Comtic role, there we're looking at okay, how does Costa Rica mm-hmm. fit into the global marketplace in terms of what you were talking about, data privacy? How do we ensure that the citizens of Costa Rica have their personal data protected? their rights protected Mm -hmm. with the use of that data, right? So this is something that is right now a hot topic because it just so happens that um, one of the legislators here in our National Assembly has been sort of drafting some ideas around that. Some of the ideas are good. They kind of emulate the European GDPR model. Uh, But then there are other things that are kind of funky, Mm -hmm. right? So just as an example, 
Um, I think it's still in the, in the current text. It says something like, hey, you know, Costa Ricans' personal data can't be taken out of the country. And you're thinking, what does that even mean in the digital age? Like, you're going to actually have everything on server farms in Costa Rica? You can't use the cloud? You can't put things on Amazon? Like, what is that? You know, or Google Cloud, whatever. So that, that's kind of a weird requirement, right? It's, it's a little confusing, and it would make it really hard for businesses to comply with that because a lot of the ecosystem is managed on the cloud. Mm -hmm. And that idea of cloud is it's not here in this country necessarily. There's not necessarily a cloud building somewhere where the Costa Rican version of the cloud is being hosted. Mm -hmm. There are certainly data centers, but it would be kind of an unimaginable to require every company to host all of Costa Ricans' data on these centers. Mm -hmm. And if they have clients from other countries, that doesn't apply. So mm -hmm. then you've got to manage kind of different um, data um, management solutions. So that becomes kind of, kind of uh, unmanageable. So that's kind of a part of the Costa Rica context. The other thing I think that is interesting from industry perspective is when Costa Rica does that, starts to look at things like data privacy legislation or even like things about payment, e-payment, mm -hmm. um, what you're really talking about is the whole kind of workings of the digital economy. Mm -hmm. And digital economy is not something that's peculiar to Costa Rica, right? You can't create like a digital economy playbook for Costa Rica that's mm -hmm. different from Panama or Nicaragua or the United States or Europe, right? It's got a it's got to work together with other countries. Mm -hmm. Otherwise, how would companies here operate buying and selling over a marketplace where they have a different set of rules, right? So digital uh, economy now becomes an issue. How do we make sure the rules that we're employing here work with other countries and allow the businesses here to prosper, right? Not only the consumers be protected when they go to the digital marketplace, but businesses here be able to buy and sell services uh, over, over digital means. So to make this happen, Costa Rica has started to look at some of the international agreements around digital mm -hmm. economy. And they're just beginning to, to take shape. So the one that's right now most popular is called uh, the DEPA, Digital Economy Partnership Accord. And this was signed by Chile, Singapore, New Zealand. Mm -hmm. I think those are the three mm -hmm. initial signers. Chile. Singapore and New Zealand. So we've got one player already in Latin America who's got a level of standard that complies with this international marketplace. I think Costa Rica should be there as soon as possible, right? We don't want companies to come and say, you know, maybe I should locate in Chile because exactly. they know how to play with the global marketplace and not Costa Rica, right? So we need to make sure that our regulatory infrastructure, the things that we have in place in Costa Rica are the um, most kind of widely applicable so that we can play in that marketplace too. Mm -hmm. So digital economy, I think, is going to be the next big kind of issue we need to talk about as a country. So that's, sure. that's my industry answer. Now? How was that? That was great, actually. Go ahead, drink some water. So <clears throat> the business answer. So when I say mm -hmm. the business answer, I'm going to first talk from where I'm at in the business that I work at. Uh, you mentioned Extendo. <clears throat> so we're in this uh, marketing space similar to Four mm -hmm. geeks right? It's kind of marketing and data and, and marketing data products and all this kind of stuff, right? So it becomes an issue when you're working with clients, whether they're here or, or as an export service, and you, you get confronted with the issue of, okay, so how does data collection work, mm -hmm. right? So we're going to do, let's say, a website and it has some personalization 
functions. So that maybe the, the user of the e-commerce sees certain things in the catalog, right? All these mm -hmm. kind of functionality. And you want to create, as companies, you want to create that functionality for your client. Mm -hmm. And it means that you're collecting user data in a certain way to make that possible. Is that right? True. So <clears throat> how do you do that? Well, it turns out that the formula to do most digital marketing functions has been based on what you'd call third-party data, meaning I'm the company, I'm the first party, I have a client, but rather than me managing their data, what I do is I use Google's solution mm -hmm. or Facebook's solution. They manage the data and they give me access to it. So my relationship to the client is actually a third-party relationship. Mm -hmm. It goes through this other party, right? Yeah. And that's just how the world has worked, right? It's very convenient to say, I'm going to slap the Facebook pixel, right? I'm going to put on Google's Google Analytics code. I'll let them use their cookies and pixels mm -hmm. to collect data. I don't have to worry about it, mm -hmm. right? I when just collect I, all the results. And I, can I just go to them and I say, give me you know, a report. Give yes. me, right? Give me an audience and I'll market to them, right? So that's been kind of the nature of data management, typically, right, mm -hmm. for most companies to date. So what's happened is um, very quickly that ecosystem has started to flip. Mm -hmm. And by flip, I mean we mentioned GDPR. That's the European Data Privacy Regulation. California came out with one. Uh, it went into effect, I think, last July. So yes. 2020, this is just, you know, very recently. So you've got this regulatory push where regula regulators are saying, hey, companies, you have to manage your, you have to manage consent with your users so that if you're going to do stuff like tracking and stuff like that, they have to say you can. Mm -hmm. And then you have to be able to ensure that you're doing what you said you're going to do with that data. Mm -hmm. Right. And as they start to say that, you start to wonder, well, can I actually do this? If the data is not mine, can I do it through a third party? Mm -hmm. The answer for GDPR in, in California's regulations is no. You have to take on this responsibility. That's your responsibility. You can't kind of like send it off to somebody else to take care of it for you. In other words, your client has maybe given consent to Google to do stuff, mm -hmm. or maybe they give consent to Facebook to do stuff, but you can't then kind of inherit that and now claim it as your own, right? Exactly. So that third-party relationship has changed. The other, the other thing in the ecosystem is, is the Apple stuff that's in the mm -hmm. news, right? So... Uh, starting a couple years ago and then a lot last year, Apple starts to roll out iOS version changes. And what they're doing is limiting the capture of cookies and how long these cookies can live. And then they're also saying, and you can't pass data between different websites. Like you can't say, I'm going to take this and put it over there or take that from that site and bring it over here. You have to do a first party data collection. You have to manage it within the site itself. So technology is pulling one direction, regulation is, is pushing us, and they seem to be pulling and pushing us in the same direction, which is first-party data is the way that companies have to accept mm -hmm. the consent of their user, manage that responsibility, take on this role and responsibility, and build trust around that consent. And you can't just offshore it to some other third party and then hope that that's good enough. You have to do this. So as an example, if I go to 
you know, Amazon's website or Uber or something, and there's a the little consent thing, a little check boxes that I say, I accept these, you know, rules and regulations and cookies all and all this kind of stuff, privacy. right? When I check that box, that relationship is between me and Amazon or me and Uber mm-hmm. or me and, right? So that means that on the back end, when they do that, it can't have been a third party in there taking that data, doing something, and then saying, here, I'll give you access mm-hmm. to it, right? So that's the, that's the Google and Facebook model right now. So we need to kind of flip that and say, let's have um, a world in which companies are responsible to manage the trust of their clients through consent, and they're going to have to then take on some competencies to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, first, understanding what that means. Exactly. <laughs> and how do I ask for consent? And mm-hmm. why am I asking for it? Like, what do I want them to do? Or what do I want to do with their data? Exactly. And then how do I ensure that the things that I do with their data are the ones that I said I was going to do. And I don't violate that trust that they've given me. Once I've done that, it's actually really liberating. Because mm-hmm. now that I've got consent with the user to do certain things with their data, and I know what those things are, I can actually build a very close first-party relationship. I own this relationship with the client. And together, we exchange value and as we do that, they grant me trust, consent, mm-hmm. and I grant them greater service or product, right? Mm-hmm. So it's actually a really nice model for evolving the relationship with the client. And I think that what it does in the end, Shanine, is that it empowers companies to take control of a relationship that in the traditional digital marketing, space, marketing landscape has been more of, a, more of an advertising role of marketing. Mm -hmm. And now it becomes a customer experience relationship. So the business is now concerned with a great experience Mm -hmm. that matches the consent and helps evolve it over time. And that evolution of consent over time means that you're willing to give me access to more data in exchange for better service. That's a nice relationship. It's not just will you see more of my ads or less of my ads in Facebook mm-hmm. or through Google? Mm-hmm. It's, will I be able to give you a better service? And to do that, I need your consent. Mm-hmm. That's powerful. That's a lot of digital product can come out of that. Oh, that's super understandable. And that's a great point of view. But as a business, how I can actually ensure that to our customers and present them that we are going to give you value in return of your data. Yeah. Uh, How can I manage to present that to our customers? So I think there's probably two, two answers. One is the strategy answer. Like, mm-hmm. what am I doing strategically through my marketing initiatives? And the other is more of a technical or a mm-hmm. management issue. And how do I do it? Like, what is the technology to actually allow me to do that? So if we take it in parts, the strategy answer, I think, is to say, let's start with the premise that Marketing isn't advertising. Mm -hmm. Advertising is a sub-area of marketing. Marketing is all of this stuff that I do that helps me exchange value with the marketplace, with my customer. Most of that value exchange is with existing customers, right? Mm -hmm. It's not always out hunting for the next one. Mm -hmm. It's taking care of the ones that I have, Mm -hmm. right? So if we remember that marketing is about that, consent And this relationship obviously makes more sense. So let's just first make sure that we switch the framework of marketing into a space that has a lot to do with customer uh, engagement and customer experience. So if we do that, then we can start by saying, well, as we think about how to 
let's say, manage our strategy with our clients, we're going to start with asking them for very little or light consent. Mm -hmm. And then as we build up a relationship, we can ask for more consent. So mm -hmm. let's go through an example. Shanine comes to my website. I sell, you know, flowers online. And when Shanine comes in the first time, I really don't know anything about Shanine. She's an anonymous entity that's mm -hmm. entered the website. I don't have any personal information. Mm -hmm. You're just a device connected to my website, right? Um, so I don't really have any personal information, but I do want to ask for consent. I want to say, hey, Shanine, you know, this is your first visit. And because of that, I'd like to ask for um, the right to be able to track what you do so that I can understand and improve your experience. And you might check that little box. Mm -hmm. And if you check that box, I'm going to tell you what I'm going to do is I'm going to use some of it for myself, analytics, mm -hmm. to analyze what's going on. And then I'm going to try to take that analysis. And if I see you again, give you a little better and improved experience. Mm -hmm. So in exchange for your consent to do this, track you, I will give you this. Do you accept? And then you check that little box, right? So all I've done is say, I want to attend you better. Mm -hmm. Allow me to do that, yes or no. That's a consent. But what happens if the customer says no? That's, that's the whole point. They have the right mm -hmm. to say no. So I'm planning for, my strategy is to plan for this. So part of my plan is to say, if they don't, mm -hmm. that's fine. I don't track them, mm -hmm. which means I don't get to know what they did. Mm -hmm. I don't have a right to the analytics of it. And I'm also not going to try to then, in future experiences, modify the experience for that user because mm -hmm. I don't have that right to do that. I'm also not going to send it to Google for Google Ads or Facebook for ads, right? Mm -hmm. I don't have the right. But that's fine mm -hmm. because that's our agreement. And you have the right to do that. That's the new ecosystem. But when you say, yes, I accept that, then I have things to do. Exactly. So I'm planning for consent. And now I'm saying, okay, what can I do with this initial data from Shanine? It's very, it's very light. There's nothing personal in there. Mm -hmm. But I'm going to start to use it to analyze and to improve the experience for her. And then I'm going to set off to do that, mm -hmm. right? So now I have a, a reason and a, and a way to attend to Shanine. I don't know who you are yet, uh, in a way that's more, more valuable for both of us. Mm -hmm. And I'm going to set off doing that. And as I do that, and if you come back, and I'm going to say things like, hey, I see that you're back. Welcome back. Because this is now your second visit or whatever it is, I'm going to mm -hmm. offer you maybe a discount mm -hmm. or ask if you want to subscribe to our newsletter or ask if I can support you with my assistant here in the chat. You know, all these kinds of things that start mm -hmm. to ex uh, ask you for another level of engagement. And as you do that, I might ask for another level of consent. Mm -hmm. Would you like the newsletter? Accept, you know, to sign into this. And if you do accept, then I'm gonna need your email. So here there's another exchange. Mm -hmm. Personally identifiable information in exchange for the newsletter with the coupons and all this kind of stuff. Right? So I've evolved the relationship. I'm going to give you something, but I'm asking for something in exchange. So this is how we go about it. We plan for this relationship to evolve. Mm -hmm. We accept where it is at each level, mm -hmm. and we try to get it to the next level. Mm -hmm. right? That's what marketing online should be about, mm -hmm. how to give a better experience to the user. Good to know that. And, okay, going around this same topic and everything, what do you think, what is your perception on all the platforms that are going to play the role of the third party? Great. So What they have to do right now. So that's that technical yes, question. Yes, the technical part. So curiously, or not, mm -hmm. uh, they're actually 
starting to get aligned with this same vision. So let's take the, the examples we've been giving of Facebook and, and Google. Um, so Facebook, Facebook's got a little bit more of a, an issue or a problem because mm -hmm. the way that they've been managing their relationship with their clients, which are the businesses that use their platform to get to clients, customers, and market, is a third-party relationship, and it's very kind of Facebook-focused. So they've got to do a little bit of engineering to switch that relationship. And, for example, their, their Pixel, the Facebook Pixel, mm -hmm. which is a third-party tracking tool, they've got to create a version of it which is first-party, meaning mm -hmm. I take the code, I install it on my site, and it leaves the data that it collects on my site, in mm -hmm. my server, and in my database, mm -hmm. right? And then I take that data and I can pipe some of it back to Facebook to do Facebooky things with it, mm -hmm. right? So the Facebook first-party Facebook pixel, when they come out with it, will have to do that. Mm -hmm. Google actually has already completed that process. So last year, they came out with two big changes. Uh, one was, if you if you know their analytics tool, mm -hmm. you know you uh, Google Analytics Universal version has a way to track which is a third-party tracking mm -hmm. device, let's say. Uh, Google Tag Manager is the tag kind of controller. Yes. Again, it's third-party. But last year what they did is they came out with what they call server-side tracking, mm -hmm. meaning there's now a way to implement that kind of analytic-y kind of solution with Google Tag Manager, but it's first-party, meaning mm -hmm. you do it in such a way that you create uh, you install this code on your, your own site. You are collecting the data from your own domain, and you're putting it in your own database. Mm -hmm. And you kind of own that. You, you create the structure for it. It's yours. It's a, it's a first-party data collection tool. And then, again, you pipe some of that into in analytics mm -hmm. as a way to visualize that data. Mm -hmm. Right? You own it, and you give it back to them. Again, this is a flip from the old relationship, which was they own it, and they gave you access to it. Mm -hmm. Right? They gave you access to your customer data. Mm -hmm. Now it's, I own my customer data, I give them access to it. So that's the flip. So Google did it with Google ta uh, Tag Manager server-side tagging. Facebook is on the way to do it with a Facebook first-party tagging. Mm -hmm. That's the collection part for some. Others mm -hmm. are going to use solutions like Telium, um, Snowplow, these other uh, architectures for doing all, all sorts of data collection first-party and, and piping into different sources. These are obviously great solutions, but I think a lot of companies will look at those the way they've been doing it, mm -hmm. Google tagging and Facebook tagging, mm -hmm. and need to just update to these kind of new ways. Mm -hmm. And I think your next question is, yeah, but then if I'm collecting the data, I need to have ability to do that, right? Exactly. Yeah. How I do it? How I how manage do I do it? Well, how I become a first party? How do you become a first party data knowing, manager? Exactly, exactly, without knowing anything about analytics, because. On this ecosystem, well, the past era, we were used to actually just, okay, I will pay for this, and they're going to manage it for me. They're going to handle reports to myself, and I can work around it. But now, they are going to put that pressure, that responsibility... Is on the company. On the company. And how do I actually analyze this? How I can take all this information recollected by other platforms and how I can manage and actually maintaining and having updated frequently. Yeah, so you can imagine a scenario where um, a company has already had a website, mm -hmm. 
right? So they've already got some first-party things, probably their own domain even, mm -hmm. and it's on a server in the cloud somewhere. It doesn't mean that I own the cloud, right? Mm -hmm. It doesn't mean I have a server in my business. You know what I'm saying? Exactly. Because the first party means it's in my control. It's mm -hmm. in my, um, uh, I was going to say property. So the domain is mine, and then the data is going to go to some place where I have control and access to that data. Mm -hmm. So this is now under my control. And if you already have a website uh, and you've been using things like maybe WordPress on a website, you've already been kind of been doing that mm -hmm. in a sense. Maybe you haven't been necessarily collecting all of the analytics data there first party, but you could, mm -hmm. right? Because you've got this place, you've got mm -hmm. this repository, you've got a website on that repository. It's probably in a database. Mm -hmm. So if you had another database next to it, which was all kind of like analytics data, it would make sense to do that, right? That's true. Uh, so interaction data. Um, oftentimes, companies already have that. Like, if you have a server that mm -hmm. you're using, there's already a server log where all that data has been passing anyway, right? So mm -hmm. it's not like it's not existed. Mm -hmm. It's just that at some point we decided, let's throw this back to you know the Googles and Facebooks and let them mm -hmm. take care of it. And I'm just going to ignore the data that I've had here. <laughs> now you're not going to ignore it. You're going to actually take More ownership of it. Oh, yeah. Take control take, of it. Take control of it. So taking control of it will mean that at some point you're going to decide what data do I need and want to collect? Mm -hmm. um, so when you think about a website or an app, there's certain types of interaction that takes place. Mm -hmm. And you need to declare of all that interaction what's relevant to be collecting. Mm -hmm. And then when you know that, then you can go and ask for permission for people to, to your user to actually collect that data from them. So there is a process there. Mm -hmm. But you know, maybe not every company has competencies on day one to do it, mm -hmm. but did we have competencies day one to create a website or to manage our e-commerce? Obviously not. So yeah. there's always been this process, evolution, evolutionary process of there's a new opportunity. We'll probably have service providers and consultants and these folks coming in to help us mm -hmm. until it gets easy enough through new tools and whatnot to make it like something that I can do in-house, right? Mm -hmm. That's kind of the, the process. So I don't think that will change. Um, we're just going to have to go through this process right now of waiting for it to become easy. Mm -hmm. My sense is that um, you're going to have a lot of really great solutions mm -hmm. very quickly because this is a huge problem, quote unquote, for a lot of businesses, mm -hmm. which means it's a huge opportunity for people that can create tools that solve that. So I, I don't suspect that we'll have to wait long to see really nice nice ways to manage it. Okay. As an example, mm -hmm. uh, just going back to the WordPress um, idea, you know, you, you do WordPress, right? You set up the site and it's, mm -hmm. it's on the cloud somewhere. It's in your own domain, right? And then you start to add plugins to do things like SEO optimization, all this kind of stuff. Mm -hmm. Well, why don't you have a plugin that's, you know, first party data capture which helps you mm -hmm. manage just the creation of that database where your data is going to go, right? I'm sure it already exists, so I'm not, I'm not going to run to create that, but <laughs> it, it, it's these kinds, of, uh -huh. these kinds of ideas. So it's an extension of an, of an existing ecosystem of technology that's going to support us to do that. So it, we'll have to capture, we'll have to manage, we'll have to do it with consent. Mm -hmm. That means there's going to be uh, a whole generation of kind of consent management tools that will help us do that thing with our client where mm -hmm. we ask for stuff and then we manage mm -hmm. we manage what we get from them mm -hmm. and if they say no we don't collect it mm -hmm. and if they say i don't want you to have it anymore we give it back you know all this mm -hmm. kind of stuff we have to be able to do that 
and I think there will be um, plenty of opportunity for companies like ours and like others here in Costa Rica mm -hmm. to create these tools. That's my next question. So, as an agency running around the um, digital market era and everything around that, what kind of tools or what other steps I should take and develop to actually offer other agencies the possibility to manage and help you mm -hmm. go through all these new changing systems and all these turnovers about being or becoming a third um, a first party. So it sounds like you're thinking of us as like technology companies. Mm -hmm. And we're helping marketing agencies mm -hmm. who maybe don't have all these engineering capacities like we do to do this, mm -hmm. right? So we want to create um, an ecosystem that they can operate in, mm -hmm. basically, right? You want your, your clients' agencies, mm -hmm. and there may be several of them, to be able to play in this space together nicely, mm -hmm. right? Exactly. Um, yeah, and, and I think that's exactly what's going to happen. So imagine... Um, We, we have some great examples like, you know, the Amazon Web Services or mm -hmm. Google Cloud Platform or Microsoft Azure. It's kind of like this is where these are the playgrounds that this is going to take place in. Right. So mm -hmm. so the cloud and it's it's the our clients cloud. So the businesses cloud space. Mm -hmm. Right. Basically, you can imagine uh, every company kind of declaring here's here's my cloud. Mm -hmm. Here's where I do data capture collections. I have data catalogs here. I do some transformations and some analysis on it. And then I create some data products that output it into things like website optimization and mm -hmm. marketing campaigns and all this kind of stuff. So I've got this kind of like process going on in the cloud for the company. Mm -hmm. And then companies like ours and agencies will come into that space to work in that space, mm -hmm. right? And we'll be kind of like providers or consumers of mm -hmm. things that are going on in the, in the company's business space on the cloud. Mm -hmm. So maybe our role is to create the space, is to help the client, the company, create that architecture to begin with. Mm -hmm. Data capture, collection, transformation, modeling, and use in products, right? Mm -hmm. And then help them understand the rules to invite their agencies to come in there and use these services. Mm -hmm. So the agency doesn't really need everything. The agency doesn't need the raw data. The agency doesn't even need access to the catalog. They mm -hmm. want the audience, mm -hmm. right? That's true. They want audiences. Okay, we'll give them access to audiences. So there'll be like a little service contract that says, you can come into this space, here's the audiences, mm -hmm. here's how they're classified. If you need changes to them, let us know, and we'll talk to the people in the step before to modify audience definition. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. So that, I think that's basically the, the way that it looks like it'll work in the future. Oh, good to know that. And... Okay, now we are in this same perception. We are this marketing, digital marketing and IT provider for all these agencies. We have a different variety of clients and anything. How can we explain them and assure them once again that all their data are completely protected? In this case, for example, the client comes over and asks us to have a server room And nowadays, we are migrating from server room, a physical server yeah. room, to one that is on the cloud, mm -hmm. right? And we have we are able to connect to the VPN and do all the deployment 
of our customers, how we can tell them their data is actually secure and segregated? You know, that's a really interesting question. As as we are, you know, service providers mm -hmm. working with agencies, working with clients, right? So you get into these issues, and and we have to get into these issues mm -hmm. of, you know, the data governance and the security and our protocols to access and use and what are our rights to use, mm -hmm. and can we actually take their data and move it somewhere else, or do we mm -hmm. have to work with it there? All of this texture <laughs> to the mm -hmm. relationship has to be clear. True. Otherwise, terrible things could happen. Right, and you can imagine these kinds of things, and you hear about the stories all the time mm -hmm. where, you know, X company was working with a client, and that person had the data on their machine in their house, and oops, right, it Leaked? got something oh, happened. Yeah. <laughs> Customer information is now, you know, on the dark web. You know, this yes. kind of thing. You don't want to have these situations. So obviously, the competencies mm -hmm. of our organizations have to meet that level of um, exigencia of, of demand, where mm -hmm. we're able to say we have the protocols and the competencies in place to ensure that our team, not only with things like VPNs mm -hmm. that help us protect data, but in the protocols mm -hmm. and where we work and how we work, mm -hmm. and um, almost down to the level of ethics, right? Like, mm -hmm. what is the ethical code <laughs> mm -hmm. that we um, demand of our partners here within our organization, right? So all of these questions now become really relevant especially when we have so much trust placed on us because that's first-party data for the customer, right? Mm -hmm. uh, so maybe we should look to industries that have done this really successfully, like you know, banking and insurance and these, these industries that have worked with really sensitive healthcare, mm -hmm. really sensitive data, and they've had outside, outside or outsourced providers who've had to comply with a lot of protocol and control mm -hmm. around data use and management. And we're from the marketing space, because we've been in that third-party space, we mm -hmm. hadn't really had to worry about it that often. Now we have to really be cognizant of it. Mm -hmm. And so we need to kind of adapt some of those best practices. And I think that's what you're going to see is a lot of kind of that known knowledge base will kind mm -hmm. of migrate into the marketing and e-commerce, obviously, because of credit cards and whatnot could already exist. But marketing especially will have to become much more like that. True. That's super true. Thank you for that. How an agency can pass from asking for consent for your information to actually asking for consent for your PII and secure you once again that your PII is managed, is controlled, and is not going to be all over the dark web the same way how you say that. Yeah, so and this goes back to this conversation about mm -hmm. first we need to make sure that the companies understand and kind of strategize around that relationship, mm -hmm. going from requesting consent, you know, generically speaking to do tracking, to consent on top of personally identifiable information, mm -hmm. right? So these are kind of like those levels of um, consent that's required. Um, and you know, it's curious because companies have been collecting personally identifiable mm -hmm. information since day one, yeah. right? Uh, it's just that we didn't have regulation mm -hmm. that really explained now what's our responsibility with that mm -hmm. so now we do okay so we're gonna have to comply with that there are kind of consent management solutions so mm -hmm. there's a whole kind of like new tech stack tech layer in the tech stack mm -hmm. which is consent management it's like a thing now mm -hmm. that will help us do that so that's good to know um, even within Google uh, Google Analytics and now you uh, 
Google Analytics Universal and now GA4, there's this kind of like opt-out op opportunity, like the ability mm -hmm. for the user to say, uh, no, I don't want you to collect, but also I don't want you to have my data anymore. So it kind of goes back and takes away the data, mm -hmm. right? So this kind of ability to manage consent is a part of a tool stack, mm -hmm. but it's a part of the, the competency of the organization to understand that this is how things work. Mm -hmm. And they're different, you know what I'm saying? They're different. Mm -hmm. one, is a, one is a management capacity to understand mm -hmm. what this allows me to do, what um, responsibilities and obligations it, it, it implies of me, but also what opportunities does it create when I do this well? Mm -hmm. And then there's the tech stack, which is, and now who's gonna help me do that, whether mm -hmm. it's um, an IT department or IT outsourcing that's going to help me create that little um, rules and logic and functions mm -hmm. on top of my data, or if I can use some kind of solution that does consent management. So there's, there's that. But I think the part of the discussion, again, Shanine, that's so important and interesting is the opportunity side of it. Mm -hmm. I think that the tasks will always be tasks. Mm -hmm. and there's always hard engineering things going on. That's true. And but there's always changing. They're always changing. And there's mm -hmm. always smart people that will help mm -hmm. us resolve those problems. And your company is one of those. And here in Costa Rica, like I mentioned, there's two hundred companies that mm -hmm. have a lot of smart people. So there's a lot of people that can solve those problems. I think the harder problem is for the organizations to do the switch mm -hmm. and say, this is a really great opportunity to manage better relationships with my customers. Mm -hmm. And I'm gonna take that on as my first responsibility. Mm -hmm. And I'm not gonna focus maybe as intensely my marketing in the role of advertising or publicity mm -hmm. and always trying to find the new person. I'm gonna really start with, how do I take care of the ones that I have? Mm -hmm. And then go and find more like them. <laughs> <laughs> true, so true. So. As a base, I'll put it like this way, this example. I'm a local business who is working with international firms. I'm managing all their data, mm -hmm. PII information and everything regarding that area. But I need to know something very specific. How do I actually start doing a roadmap? Mm -hmm on how to manage and have the control of that data. And how you say this last part? Ah, what's next to do with that data? So how I can actually build a roadmap? There, there certainly is <clears throat> a first piece of that equation that you mentioned, which is local business outsourcing. So location could matter, mm -hmm. right? I think I mentioned at the start, talking about ComTech, that um, mm -hmm. there's that piece of legislation that says data has to be in the country for people, you know, as a technology company, to understand that and what it means and then have to create engineered solutions that are, that are specific or mm -hmm. peculiar mm -hmm. to those market demands, that's not easy. Mm -mm. But it, it's possible technically. It's just that we have to know what the rules are. So um, I think maybe... Organizations like Comtech will help the businesses in Costa Rica, for example, understand these are the rules that you have to comply with. Hopefully that one that I mentioned won't become a rule, but mm -hmm. were it to become, <laughs> we would have to comply with it, and then we would have to have webinars and talk with all the industry about how we're going to do this. Yes. So it is, it is actually an issue. Uh, I remember I was at a conference, this is maybe more than 10 years ago already, in, in the European Union, where they were talking about exactly this. How do we 
work with companies that are not in the European Union mm -hmm. and who have different privacy regulation? And can we, as outsourcers, work with our offices that are in these other countries or mm -hmm. not? And that was the debate. Like, how do I, being in, let's say, France, and I've got a service provider that's in Egypt, mm -hmm. and maybe it's even my own office, right? I'm an office, and I've got this branch here and that branch there, and that's mm -hmm. where I've got engineers, and I need them to have access to the data. Can they? Well, that regulatory framework explains how that relationship can work. Mm -hmm. And can they move the data there, or do they have to go and occupy the space that's somewhere else? This kind of concepts mm -hmm. are necessary to understand, and mm -hmm. you have to work within those frameworks. Right now, with the United States, it's not part of their framework, mm -hmm. right? They don't obligate us to manage data locally. Okay, so if your clients are primarily in the States, um, that's probably not an issue, and it doesn't seem like it would be, but there could be things around there with your clients. Then it becomes the issue that you said of, and then what do I do? Like, how do I manage that? Well, again, I think there's going to be really great solutions for um, first-party data capture and consent management. Mm -hmm. Some will be homegrown, mm -hmm. where we're going to sit with our client, we're going to plan it out, we're going to map it out and figure it out and engineer it, and some will be off-the-shelf solutions, mm -hmm. consent management tools and whatnot. Okay, so now that that's done, what do I do with that data, right? That mm -hmm. was your question. Now what do I do? Okay, well, now I'm going to create products, data products, database products mm -hmm. for marketing use mm -hmm. that take advantage of that. So I'm going to model an audience mm -hmm. or audiences, maybe based on, you know, statistical methods like RFM, like recency and frequency and monetary value, and I'm going to create my most valuable customer group and my least valuable, right? And do this kind mm -hmm. of modeling so that when I have that model ready and I recognize these groups, I can have the experience on the website be different for each of those groups, right? And that's, that's what our job is, is mm -hmm. as companies to create these products, these data-based products, mm -hmm. so that that experience is different or better. And that's what we'll be doing is creating database products that seek to improve the user experience. Okay. That answers pretty well my, my, my question. So, finally, to end this podcast, this episode, we would like to know if you can give us some tips or advices that companies can follow to generate digital strategies that allow them to stand out the digital environment. Um, I guess my primary tip is mm -hmm. let's make sure that we've understood the switch from the third-party relationship yeah. that you've had with your clients, where you've managed it through the Googles and Facebooks of the world, to a first-party relationship. And what does that mean, right? Not mm -hmm. only the responsibility, like the scary part, mm -hmm. but the good part. <laughs> yes. Not the, oh, I have their data, now I'm responsible. That's the scary part, right? <laughs> um, you accept that responsibility, but you're also enthused by the opportunity that it, uh, that it permits you. Yeah. And that opportunity is to really look at that relationship, study it, understand it, and create like a, uh, almost like a scientific process in the organization where you're going to hypothesize around how do I improve that relationship? Mm -hmm. And can I test it? And can I do things that make it better? And you start that process of constantly seeking to improve the customer experience. Mm -hmm. So as a consumer, I'm happy for this next chapter that we'll be seeing in the digital ecosystem. Mm -hmm. I feel like it respects my privacy. Mm -hmm. I feel like it puts responsibility on the 
on the organizations, the businesses that I do business with, yes. and I want them to take responsibility. But most of all, it means that they're going to give me better service. True. And that's really what I wanted all along. So good security and privacy environment, companies that understand that and take it to heart mm -hmm. and take advantage of it. Mm -hmm. And as consumers, we're the big winners here. That's so true. It's going to be a long road, that's for sure. It's it is. Kind of a tricky path to have, that's for sure. But at the same time, we have to look the positive side. It's very positive. It's super important to actually have the power and to own that, to own the data of my customers. I agree. And how I can analyze you better, how I can study better study you better and give you the better part of my business. That's it entirely. So I can take it this way. Now on, we are going to start with the shallow promises. <laughs> that's We're right. Going, well, that's what I think that we can do that now nowadays. Well, I hope that we stop all the shallow promises to our customers and we start to actually deliver value. Not only value content, we're going to deliver value. Okay. And we have all the, the tools to actually show you and demonstrate you. There's your value back. That's exactly right. And I think that had we stayed along the road that we were in, the third mm -hmm. party you know, road that we've been in, mm -hmm. we wouldn't have gotten there. Because right. we were always letting somebody else take care of that data. And mm -hmm. we never had to own it. We never had to own the problem of making it a better experience. Now it is our problem. Now mm -hmm. we can go and take advantage of it. That's mm -hmm. great. I think you said summed it up perfectly. <laughs> Thank you, Paul, for coming here and having this opportunity to learn a little bit more about this new era and all the turns and all the kind of fishy <laughs> things we aboard today. But at the same time, we can see the bright side. Very bright. We hope that we can have you back any other episode and thank you for everything you no, have to be doing. It was such today. a pleasure. <laughs> thank you thank very you. much. That's all for today. Thank you all for joining us. For more ideas on how to grow your business with marketing and technology on your side or a recap of our latest episodes, feel free to check out our 4Geeks global social media. If you need additional help to bring out the best in your business, don't be shy and get in touch with us at 4geeks.io slash contact. See you soon with a new episode.